0: Music from this episode is available on the Twin Peaks Evangelion Spotify playlist. Check the show notes for a link. Harry, I have no idea where this will lead us, but I have a definite feeling it will be a place both wonderful and strange.
1: Hello, welcome, kia and hi, and hola, and buenos dias, and whatever else, you, um, whatever other greeting you, you have in your country. Thank you so much for joining us. This is Twin Peaks Evangelion. If this, this is your first rodeo, let me explain what we're doing here. This is a podcast uh, with two internet pals. Um, I'm Craig, joined by Vincent, and we're, our whole shtick is that we watch complicated films, or the latter entries in a complicated narrative uh, without any prior context of the original narrative. Myself, Craig, I'm a Twin Peaks fan, and I am watching the Evangelion theatrical films, um, knowing nothing about the original anime. My friend Vincent, who's based in the States, he is a anime uh, fan, or I think weeb is the technical term. Is that is that right, Vinny? I'm not insulted to be called a weeb, so yes, I'll embrace it. Yeah, Vinny's a weeb, and he is uh, watching Twin Peaks The Return, which aired in 2017, um, with no prior knowledge of anything to do with the original Twin Peaks. So yeah, it's an interesting um, interesting little experiment that we've got going on here. And um, this is exciting. We're kind of towards the home stretch of the, uh, of the narratives that we're both looking at. Before we get into it, uh, a little bit of housekeeping to start with. At the end of the last episode, we mentioned that I would be watching the Evangelion rebuild film 3.0 plus 1.0, Thrice Upon a Time. I didn't actually watch that for this uh, for this recording. We discussed it off-pod later on, um, Vincent and I, we thought it made more sense for me to watch the um, theatrically released film End of Evangelion, which, as I understand it, was put out in cinemas in Japan in, I think, 1997 as kind of like a finale of the, of the anime. And I definitely have thoughts about this film, <laughs> which we'll get into. So yeah, so this is going to be different from advertised previously, but um, that's what I'm going to be discussing today. Vincent, you, uh, you have watched parts 13 through 16 of Twin Peaks The Return. Um, so part 13, what story is that, Charlie? Part 14, we are like the dreamer. Part 15, there's some fear in letting go. And part 16, no knock, no doorbell. A couple of other little things that I just wanted to get out up front of this episode. It was also brought to our attention um, a slight mistake, a, a, a glorified typo, I guess you would call it, in our email address. So the name of this podcast is Twin Peaks Evangelion, and the... Email address that I'd set up uh, for this podcast, if anyone wanted to email us, well, God knows why. The email address that I had set up was tp semicolon e at gmail.com. Our mutual friend Richard um, raised the question about, um, <laughs> with us just this week, about, hey, um, shouldn't the semicolon actually be a colon? <laughs> I think a semicolon is different from a colon, am I, am I wrong? And I just sort of went, hmm, um, no. You're not wrong, Richard. That was uh, that was something that I fucked up. So thank you, Richard, for pointing that out. Yeah, my apologies, I guess, for all the uh, grammar nerds that have been um, not emailing me out of spite because of this egregious error. My heart apologies.
0: we could be getting emails from Lynch and Arno about this podcast. We
1: wouldn't even know. Yeah, I mean, that's entirely possible. It's not entirely possible. It's very, very <laughs> implausible. One last thing that I wanted to get out before we get into the discussion um, is a shout out. If you are a Twin Peaks fan and you haven't discovered um, a podcast that goes by the name of In Our House Now, In Our House Now podcast is a great resource for you. It's a pretty academic and analytical look into Twin Peaks Return specifically, um, hosted by two super fans who have been um, longtime fans. Um, if the... Publication wrapped in plastic means anything to you. They were both involved in that back in the day, I believe. But yeah, I I reached out to them to discuss um, something that we'd brought up on one of our earlier podcasts. They had an episode where they looked at humor in Twin Peaks The Return, And um, I reached out to them just to sort of offer some thoughts about the Wally Brando thing and how it's recontextualized once you learn that Truman's son had killed himself. And yeah, got some really good, really good discussion going with them by email. They gave us a little shout out on Twitter. So um, thank you for that. And um, if you come to us from that tweet, welcome. It's great to have you here. So yeah, in our House Now podcast, um, go check that out if you want to hear from people who go way into the weeds on Twin Peaks and um, have a lot more. Um, nuanced thoughts than perhaps we do at this stage (laughs) it's a great it's a great listen okie dokie let's get into it i guess
0: let's think out loud
1: Vinny, what did overall what did you kind of think of these of this run of twin peaks episodes
0: it's interesting because stuff happens but it's not as granular in some spots but it does push the narrative forward and really sets up that the finale is here and within the next uh, two Mm. episodes i'll be watching since that's what's left.
1: Mm. The return was kind of pitched and um, I think sh- you know written and shot as one big, long film. And um, if you apply, I guess, the narrative formula that most films have, these run of episodes would be that sort of second to third act kind of um, rising action towards the climax, uh, with the climax being the next couple of episodes. Quite a lot happens in these episodes, and it's a really interesting run of episodes. So yeah, um, Vinny, why don't you you talk us through it? What kind of happened across these these four episodes? Alrighty, so episode 13 opens up with the Mitchums partying with Cooper and Bushnell.
0: It's all... Mary, this merry band of guys because they didn't kill um Cooper. Meanwhile we get to see Mr. Todd try and call Anthony, be like, he's not dead, need to fix this. Mm, yeah, pretty threatening. So it's there's this nice duality of happiness and sadness, but also this weird segment of where the Mitchums bought Sonny Jim a playset, and there's a spotlight on him as he plays with a playset. <laughs> it
1: this, yeah. It's a performance. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting. That that really struck me as well because I think in the, one of the previous episodes where they're at the restaurant, it sort of comes in mid conversation, and um, the Mitchams are going, What do you mean? No no kid should not have a playset or not have a gym set, they say. And in my head canon, somehow Dougie has managed to communicate that his son's name is Sonny Jim, and somehow he's right. got reinterpreted as he doesn't own a gym set. <laughs> <laughs> And then,
0: like, also, like, there's lights on it, like, there's Christmas lights, like, they wanted a full show for this kid, like, I took, it's funny, in my head, can they're like, well, they're showmen, they run a casino, so they're like, lights make it more luxurious for the kid. Yeah, very apropos <laughs> for um, Las Vegas. Very. And then cut away from this nonsense to Mr. C, he's driving around trying to find Ray, and he finds them in this hideout with other goons, and then a deal is struck where in order for him to get Ray, he needs to fight this little mob boss guy in an arm wrestling match, I'm like... That this is so juvenile for them. He, he even puts out like this is kindergarten? Like I, I'm the <laughs>
1: toughest kid in the playground. <laughs> Gotta beat me. <laughs> this is so yeah, this was so funny the first time I watched it.
0: <laughs> hilarious. Like these goons, their their entire chain of command is just a preschool and it's hilarious. And then so we see like him toying around with his boss man in the armor saying like good form and then like teasing him into either way this match will go. And then he just bam hits him down then bashes his face in <laughs> absolutely just caves his face in it was very visceral like we never see like the rest of the body but i assume like that man's brain is just soup at that point just completely gone oh, yeah. just soup so then mr c gets ray and is like uh, now i got you by myself just shoots him in the leg so he doesn't go anywhere and starts interrogating him about hey who told you to kill me and then that's when he really reveals that it was Philip Jeffries through phone contact. He Philip never Jeffries. saw him. And Philip Jeffries, the man who I assumed is Tom Hanks or Denzel Washington. And we'll get to that. So then they start discussing how the plan was to kill him and then put this ring on him. This like emerald like colored ring on him. And then mm-hmm. he's like... And then Cooper's like, hey, thanks, just shoots him in the head, so he's dead, puts the ring on Ray's body, and then Ray's body disappears and goes to the red room. (laughs) Hmm, yes, Interesting. It, it was the last play- thing I thought was gonna happen. I thought like the bike was just gonna disintegrate and that be gone. No, it's a teleportation to the red room, and mm. so then the ring disappears off Ray's corpse and goes to a a table of some kind that's in the red room. Then like mm. the amputee man is like, hmm, is like almost confirming like, well, this is Mr. C I was hoping for, so gotta take this ring and hold it for later, which is like, oh, mm. so this is this goes back to the master plan of like the beginning of like. Him talking to Cooper at the beginning about like letting go, and he needs to be out there because yeah, that that must be the plan. Getting Mister C back in here. He doesn't belong in the outside world, and it's your job to go get him after all these years.
1: Yeah, interesting, interesting.
0: What? What? And also, next? we get info about Phillips is in the Dutchman's, so that's where Mr. C's gonna look for him. Then, cut to Anthony getting poisoned from a deputy cop in Las Vegas. How And the cop gives him shit, about, like, this is such a cowardly way to kill someone, it's perfect for a little weasel like you. Like, yeah. not only are you not man enough to, like, go up to a man and just shoot him, like, you will kill him from afar and then run back to your little boss. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he really just, um, really cucks him in that moment. I mean, Anthony's such a pussy, I mean, come on. Then we get some small business with Norma talking about franchises, about the diner with this man, Walter. Meanwhile, we're establishing that she has chemistry with this man, Ed, but they can't be together for some reason. Mm-hmm. And it's like, cool, logistics with the, with the cafe. Awesome little detail. Then we see a talk between iPatch Lady and Doc. He's admiring her display for the Golden Shovel. Oh, it's yes, just this yes. nonsense of like how they saw each other four years later, uh, earlier because she dropped a potato. <laughs> then we cut away from it. <laughs> okay. And <laughs> yeah. then we get Sarah in her home watching a looping video of an old boxing match. Where it's like the first round, one guy gets knocked down, we're about to get ready for the second round, then loops back to the, hey, first round, boom. Just over and over. And I'm like, alright, more weird shit. And then mm. Craig, fucking Billy bullshit. <sighs> el- el- elaborate on that. It's Audrey and Charlie arguing about going... To the roadhouse. Put your coat on. No, we need to just disc- t- 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 nonsense. <laughs> so, Dear um, viewers, um, I messaged Craig at this moment that I was yelling at my TV for Audrey to put her coat on because I don't fucking care. Just do it so the scene can end.
1: Yeah, no, I-, I was just gonna mention that you know, Vinny was messaging me, really frustrated with the uh, the whole Audrey su- um, plot, and I, knowing what I know about Audrey and knowing what I know about where she you know what happens very very funny very very funny to um to see vinnie in this in this state
0: like i remember you described me how like in the original series she was like a sexual awakening she was like a fan favorite and all of that like whenever i watch the original series i'm gonna hate her i'm not gonna like this woman <laughs> at all i would just see her be like no i don't care she's not she's not hot she's corrupting the good stuff that i like and i hate it wow that's fascinating That no, it's 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 really interesting. And then we get that, then we just see Ed eating soup at his gas station credits. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the last real narrative we get is the Billy bullshit, and we just silently see Ed sipping his good soup at the gas station over credits. Mm -hmm.
1: Fuck off. Wow. Strong words. So not a fan of this particular episode then? I mean, it was an alright episode until that. Okay. Interesting. What happens in part 14, then?
0: Part 14, we go to Gordon calling the Twin Peaks station, and we have a nice little back and forth between him and Lucy. Like, that means they met in the previous series. I get to see them interact. That's cool. I get to see that eventually. So yeah. then we get a discussion between Gordon and new Truman about the revelation about the two diary pages. And also Truman hands over the message about two Coopers. Then Gordon's mm. like, hmm, I can't elaborate why I'm excited about this, but I much appreciate this. Thank you, mm. Truman. Yeah. And it's no, like, it's, ugh, yeah, it's good. I, I need to see Gordon and Truman in a room together. Just them yelling back and forth before <laughs> this thing ends. Just please. So then we cut to more FBI stuff between Tammy and Albert. Albert starts discussing the first case about their Blue Rose organization that had Gordon and Jeffries in 1975. This Lois Duffy who apparently murdered a double ganger of herself and described herself as I'm like a Blue Rose. And (laughs) Gordon interrupts him with coffee time with a big old smile and two cups of coffee.
1: Just, just as an aside, did you, sort of, did you catch what the explanation of what the blue rose is, or what it, what it kind of signifies? Because I think oh, Albert yeah. has, has a discussion with Tammy, and she sort of gives him an answer.
0: Yeah, she's very smart. She comes up with, well, a blue rose is a natural in nature, so it's manufactured. So mm. what was killed was a manufactured Lois Duffy.
1: Yeah, and that's, that's really interesting, and I'm not going to dwell on this for too long, but there's... A pretty significant reference to the blue rose in "Fire Walk with Me," and there's very pointedly no explanation about what it is. So fans mm. were kind of speculating on what the significance of the blue rose might be for almost twenty-five years, right. um, and then it just kind of gets dumped. And uh, I just got to say, you know, as a, as a longtime fan and um, just gloating a little bit, that was my interpretation of it the, this whole time, is that, you know, roses, don't shake your head at me like that. Um, you're so roses, cool, Craig. You're the coolest. Uh, look, I, I know. <laughs> but if I say that I know, then that's not cool. So, yeah, thank you. Um, you yeah, know, that, that was always my interpretation of what the blue rose was, is that it's something that doesn't exist in nature um, and is therefore not... Of the natural world.
0: Anyway, so what, <laughs> then, what, what happens after that? Another revelation. So Diane enters the room. Deputy Diane reporting for duty. And they let her know about the the, the Dougie inscribed ring that was in Jeffrey's body. That's where mm-hmm. we get the revelation that Diane is half-sisters with Janie. Whoa. What? Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Like, I knew all these plot threads were going to come together eventually, because that's how the show's been going, but... She's half sisters with Janie. It almost makes sense with how much they bicker out of their situations like yeah. one
1: another. Yeah. Um yeah, that was good. And this this only just occurred to me um just recently just rewatching it is that um she makes a big deal about not wanting to go into the morgue to see the dead body and you know sit out there and smoke and text with Mr. C, but if she had gone in and seen yeah. the ring initially, then this could have all been <laughs> you know, this could have all been done much quicker. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew Lord might not have died. Who knows? Exactly. Yeah, things could have turned out
0: quite differently. So then she gives them the information about them being in Las Vegas, and that's when Gordon contacts the FBI agency in in Las Vegas. Then we see these two just dumb FBI agents arguing on how they're going to find this Dougie and Janie E, because there's so many in the Las Vegas area. And then one guy's like, well, how are we going to do it? And then the head guy goes, well, that is what we do at the FBI!
1: <laughs> that, that is... <laughs> That's one of my favorite parts of the whole return, I think. Is that, how many times have I told you? <laughs> Such a good delivery on that. I, it, oh, it just slays me. I just wish I could see that guy's
0: audition like, okay, say this line, but say it how, the craziest way you want to say it. And all the different takes they had to get to. <laughs> yeah, and then Lynch is just like, no, more, more. More, more, more. you're really mad at him. So... As if this couldn't all get any weirder, then Gordon starts talking about a Monica Bellucci dream he had. Mm-hmm. Name dropping Monica Bellucci <laughs> was the weirdest thing for me. <laughs> so we get this black and white dream of them getting coffee. Cooper's there, but you don't see his face. Then Monica Bellucci tells him, we're like the dreamer who dreams lives inside the dream. But who is the dreamer? Mm. It's like, well, more cryptic messaging in the show. I'm all for it. Then it gets weirder, where it then turns into a flashback of the Philadelphia office of the FBI with a young Cooper and Gordon, where Cooper is trying to tell Gordon about a weird dream he had. Then mm-hmm. it is known that Philip Jeffries is coming to the room, and a man walks in, and I'm staring at him. I'm like, okay, not Tom Hanks. Definitely not Denzel Washington. <laughs> he gets closer. And then, my god, David Bowie, shows up. Yes, David Bowie. I am so happy that it's David Bowie, because as soon as I saw him, makes sense. Honestly, makes sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when, I, when I, it, was, it was a little bit unfair of me, maybe, to uh, make you sort of speculate on who Jeffries might have been played by um, in the film. And you, you asked me, is was it a big star? And I was like, mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yep, he is. And I, Yeah. And he is. He was probably one of the most famous people in the world <laughs> at the time. Um, and I just gave you the cast of Philadelphia as a response. Yeah. I still laugh about that. <laughs> What's a 90s movie? Philadelphia. <laughs> That'll do. <laughs> funny funny story about the filming of that scene. So that's a scene that um, was taken from Firewalk with me. and mm, okay. um Okay funny story about that particular scene sort of behind the scenes story yeah they're, they're all in the room and they were all sort of shooting and stuff and um lynch goes up to um miguel ferrer who played um who played albert and he was like hey hey albert because he called him albert on set mm-hmm. <laughs> hey albert check it out and he's like yeah he's like, look over there that's david bowie <laughs> <laughs> and miguel's like yeah, it sure is. Lynch is just like <laughs> pretty cool, huh? <laughs> Which is it's such a such a David Lynch thing. It's so funny. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love this man more and more. I hear about
0: the behind the scenes stuff. I haven't even looked at the behind the scenes of the show because I'm scared about you know spoilers or like mm. offhanded things. But I am so excited to just get into every back behind the scenes there's, thing there's some amazing
1: the yeah there's some amazing behind the scenes content for the return um yeah he, he had a a guy a documentary maker sort of follow him around and had like oh. you know unprecedented access to all the stuff awesome really cool
0: every director needs to fucking do that on any project i don't care how prestigious yeah. you are just have the real stuff about this because this is what we want to see yeah no it's great so then Bowie comes in, points at Cooper, and goes, who do you think that is? And just raises a question about who this man is. And then mm. just cut to modern-day Gordon. Damn! Forgot all about that. Yeah. <laughs> so this memory was apparently lost to him until that very moment. Like, yeah, hmm, that's interesting, too. Because last episode, we got this just weird memory of, like, a woman screaming for Laura Palmer just coming to Gordon again, mm. and now this thing is coming to Gordon again, like, what is happening with Gordon?
1: Yeah, and I think, um, I think Albert also says, says something about, oh, yeah, I'm starting to remember that, like, as if he's kind of lost that memory as well.
0: <laughs> also, I love seeing young Albert, like, yeah, he's still missing hair, so he's been stressed this entire time.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's <laughs> he's he's a very fun character in the uh, in the original, so he's just, like, also, the crankiest person. I'm so happy to
0: confirm he is in the previous series like oh Oh, yeah or Gordon and Albert shit like oh this is gonna be such a treat (laughs) yeah it's great it's good stuff so then cut to the Twin Peaks sheriff Station where Chad is arrested apparently they've been looking over him for months and they just arrest him fuck yeah. yeah
1: Chad definitely sucks
0: fuck Chad So then our beloved crew of sheriffs head up the mountain like the message foretold them. Bobby starts talking about how his old father's base had just a bunch of machines. He couldn't tell you what they were about, but just a bunch of machines up there. Then they head to the coordinates at 2.53. There was smoke, electric crackling, and a naked woman with a weird face.
1: (laughs) Yeah, all that happens. (laughs)
0: And then it gets weirder where the vortex opens up in the sky. All the men are basically hypnotized by it. And Andy is taken. Craig, I was so scared in this moment that they took Andy. I was scared he was about to die because I'm like, he needs to get home to Lucy. He needs to get that chair that she ordered for him as a surprise because she loves him and she wanted to gaslight him into getting the chair that he wanted. That's
1: right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was
0: so concerned.
1: I remember my first thoughts on this were um there's a a vortex and you know it ends up being the giant or who we later find out his name the fireman it ends up being his domain i just remember thinking why the hell did he pick andy like it was Mm -hmm. just like it's the least likely choice right you know you've got you've got hawk there who's kind of you know in tune with all the stuff you've got even bobby is you know his father was involved with all this supernatural shit so maybe there's some link there truman maybe you know Mm -hmm. had some exposure to some of the stuff but andy was just like the least out of those four was the least likely choice which is probably why they picked him to be honest exactly he's
0: an innocent voice of in the Mm. in the
1: hysteria about it
0: so yeah, we get to see the black and white room with the fireman who, who I previously called the tall man, but he says, I am the fireman. Mm-hmm. And he gives this like incense thing to Andy to hold. And then yep. it's quiet. And then Andy looks up at like a skylight window type thing. And he sees the Slenderman thing that killed in the, in the soundstage, the black orb with the face from episode eight, the gas station and the gotta light guy. He also Mm -hmm. sees power poles, woman screaming, Laura Palmer photo, red curtain from the red room with angel imagery, Mr. C and Cooper like fading in and out over each other to imply, you know, the duality between them, and another power pole with the number six. Mm -hmm. Then he's just teleported back to the group. What do you think is happening there? I think it's just the fireman trying to tell him all that's going on, that something has escaped the red room and they need to be worried about it. Because once he's back, he alerts the others about the woman. We need to get her to safety. Someone wants her killed. So not mm. only did that visually tell him something, but inside his mind, he he's told information about this woman that mm. people want her killed. So he just immediately takes charge of the group. And the group is like, I don't remember anything that just happened, but I know something just
1: happened. Do you recognize the woman? Is she the one where Cooper was with before he exited the outlet? Yes, I think so. I think I think that's who it's supposed to be. Yeah, so when he fell out fell through the floor of the red room in episode three, I think, and yeah. you know, did all that stuff. And the last we saw her, she went shooting off into space after electrocuting herself on that. <laughs>
0: that's right, it was so weird. They're on the thing in nothingness in space, and she just kinda of falls off and screams and he's like, oh well <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, so I think I think that's who that is. So yeah, she's out as well. Well, don't know how, but she's in the safety of the Twin Peaks Police Department. So then after all that's taken care of, we get to security guards, Jimmy and Freddy, where mm-hmm. this Freddy character has this glove on his right hand, and Jimmy prompts him to tell him the story and how he got it. So apparently this Freddy man had a dream... About meeting the fireman who told him he needed to go down to a hardware store, go to an open package of gloves, purchase the right-handed glove, and how he will have the power of a jackhammer on his hand if he puts on the glove. <laughs> yep. And then it escalates where he does all that, and is also informed to head to Twin Peaks because he already has a ticket to the
1: place. And that's where he will, he will meet his destiny, or fulfill his destiny, or something like that. It's so weird and i was pretty sure
0: like the establishing shot I, I wasn't sure but i think the establishing shot was the hotel wasn't it that these guys are security yes. for the
1: hotel yes okay yeah no they yeah they i think they were waiting for a delivery or something like that
0: yeah they're waiting like shift delivery and they're just like passing the time but yeah like he tells this story like it's nothing like this shit's just his life now he has this glove stuck to his right hand because a crazy crazy tall man told him to do it and he's here by destiny yeah so weird then we cut to this elks point bar with sarah she goes in has a blo- orders a bloody mary at the bar and is harassed by this chucker with a truck you shirt on <laughs> like okay yeah. that's that's a cheap joke and i like that he starts harassing her set sa- up uh, and then she's like walk away he's like it's a free cunt tree i'm like yeah. ooh, you're a badass So um, I'm like worried for Sarah's well-being until the moment where she looks him dead in the face, slips her face off, where you get to see inverted colors into this empty hole of a face, a -hmm. creepy smile, and her saying in a weird voice, do you really want to fuck with this? Then she puts her face back on, the man is in shock, and she just takes a bite out of his neck, and he falls to the ground dying
1: yeah that was very unsettling to watch the first time. I was it like, is Ooh. the
0: creepiest thing ever just the uneasiness that gave me just like this this crazy sarah woman that we were introduced to in this last batch and now she's just this demon-like creature mm-hmm. and <laughs> my favorite part is like how she has to pretend like act like shock she's like ah he fell over yeah. then the guy's like but he has a piece of his neck missing oh <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> i love how she ends that scene as well where he's like did you have something to do with this He's just like sure is a mystery <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was really good.
0: in my head canon i'm like this maybe has happened in the years since like the original like laura palmer thing where like maybe she's gone shenanigans she's like oh, twin peaks it's a mystery who knows <laughs> yeah maybe yeah Shit like this probably happens all the time. All the time, all the time. Then we cut to Bang Bang Bar, women discussing Billy in a booth. Ugh. This dumb bullshit story about him being covered in blood and maybe slept with one of their moms, and then he leaves
1: and then credits. Ugh. <laughs> I feel like Billy might be your most hated character in this I hate
0: thing. B- mm, him and kid. <sighs> Fucking hell. So, yeah, that episode ends. It's an interesting episode, but again, I am mad at the ending by just reverencing Billy. (sighs) Well,
1: thankfully, Billy never comes up again. Or does he? God,
0: Craig. Okay, episode 15. Part 15. We see Eye Patch -patch Woman with her golden shovel walking up to Ed's gas farm, and she's freeing him of a relationship they have. Which is like, wait, what? (laughs) because he's very confused as well like <laughs> after all these years i'm i'm free she's like yeah you clearly have a thing for norma so go get her so then we just follow ed to get to the to the cafe where he's about to talk with her she's like one sec i gotta talk this with walter so that's when she tells walter that to buy her out of her franchising rights with the cafe so she can just maintain the twin peaks location mm. and It's like, okay, because earlier they had discussed like the quality of the pies at the Mm -hmm. other locations and how it's not up to par as her standards because at the main location in Twin Peaks, she used like organic fresh ingredients and Mm -hmm. the other places are, you know, they pick whatever ingredients they want. So that was like a sticking
1: point enough for her to just get on the entire business decision. Yeah. So Walter leaves been some interesting analysis on these scenes and um one of the big analyses is that this whole discussion around norma and you know the franchising of the restaurants and um, you know the quality of the pie ingredients and all that kind of stuff was probably or probably like an analogy for um lynch's um filmmaking process Mm. and how you know because he's famously doesn't compromise on his on his vision and you know wants final cut of all his products you know, there's been some analysis that, you know, Walter kind of represents maybe, mm. you know, TV networks that are sort of saying, well, you know, it would be more appealing to advertisers if, you know, you included this kind of stuff in your shows. And um, and through Norma, he's kind of saying, well, no, it needs to sort of fit the vision and it's not about money and it's not about, um, you know creating a profitable product so much it's you know needs to be done with love and Mm -hmm. you know have all the right things that it needs so yeah interesting little um analysis there it's funny you saying that i can expand on that where it's like
0: she probably got in the franchise thing like let's see how it is maybe that's Mm. lynch also saying i should direct dune let's
1: see how this is horrible experience never doing that again and even with the original twin peaks there's some um you know behind the scenes stuff with some studio interference and, and that which we can get into it at a later stage if we want.
0: Uh, yeah. That reminds me of a question I wanted to ask you. So Lynch mm. directs all of The Return. How much of yes. the original
1: series does he direct? Uh, a, a bit. He he directed the pilot, which mm-hmm. he which I think he considers one you know some of his finest work. Um, and the pilot is, in particular is uh, incredible. Mm-hmm. He directed, I think, I'd have to look this up, but I think one or two episodes of the first season.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think he directed the first episode of season two and maybe one or two episodes throughout, and then he directed the last episode of season two, all right, which yeah, I considered kind of the best episodes yeah, interesting tidbit too um Norma is played by um Peggy lipton who was a who was a big t v star in the seventies mm-hmm. um she was married to Quincy Jones, the musician oh and no. is. Rashida Jones's mother. <gasps> Wait, what? Yep. She's Rashida Jones' mom? Yep. She, she passed away, I think, this year or last oh, year. Oh
0: Yeah. Fuck! More <laughs> yeah, roller
1: coaster it's... of emotions
0: for me. <laughs> yep. What?
1: <laughs> yep, Rashida Jones's mom.
0: That's awesome. No wonder she's cool. Ah, that, ah. Uh, anyways, back to our regularly scheduled programming. So after that business debacle, Ed just confesses
1: love to norma and they get mm-hmm. engaged so good for them yeah um very cool um otis reading track throughout this as well the live version of i've been loving you um great song it was funny because i love
0: how like just it was playing with ed with norma then just immediately just cuts out when it's walter and norma talking business then like mm. comes back in to like celebrate them being in love yeah really nice so then after that happiness, we cut to Mr. C driving to a gas station where him and a man walk upstairs and they disappear into the ether where they are then in a room with the the tar man. He, Mr. C asks him about Jeffries. He pulls a lever, light and electric- electricity crackling. Then he is taken to an outside lot outside of a hotel room where a weird woman opens a hotel room for him. He walks in the room, and the giant tumor machine is in there, and he knows that it's Jeffrey's, and mm. it starts talking. Now, Craig, is the voice, is yes. it Bowie's, or is it just a
1: construct? Um, it's not Bowie's voice. mm Bowie, I think, he, he was doing a um, sort of a southern accent in the film. Right. And I think if I'm remembering this correctly, I, I don't think he was sort of super jazzed by his um, delivery of, of his lines in the film <laughs> in, in that accent. So yeah, they got another actor to do those lines for the for the Philip Jeffries in a what looks like a tea kettle.
0: Yeah, just a giant tea kettle smoking thing that's talking to Mr. C. So they start discussing, like, hey, why kill me? Did you call me five days ago? No, you didn't. Why? Oh, I don't have your number. <laughs> like, they got a chuckle mm. out of me, just like the small little, oh, I don't have your number. What would I call you? Then we get a flashback, talk about this flashback about Jeffrey's not wanting to talk about Judy, this Judy woman, how this Judy woman is a mystery and then he's trying to get information, and then Jeffrey's like, well, just ask her yourself. You know who she is. And then he's he asks for information about that, and then the machine starts smoking out letters for Mr. C to write down. <laughs> so as if this machine can't get any weirder, it is actually messaging through smoke numbers to Mr. C. Mm -hmm. So then after the numbers are written down, Mr. C's still trying to talk to the machine, but this phone ringing is interrupting the conversation. So he finally answers the phone and is teleported outside to a payphone, where it it just ends. (laughs) Like, okay, so clearly there was more to be had, but the machine did not want him in there anymore, so just
1: get out. Yeah, Jeffries didn't want to continue that conversation, maybe. Who knows? So then, (laughs) Kid shows up to confront
0: him about him being an FBI agent and how, how do you know who I am? Oh, my mom's name is Audrey. When he said that, I'm like, Oh God, Audrey.
1: (laughs) Sorry. This is just, that's such a funny reaction. (sighs) Just don't.
0: So then he beats up the kid. Doesn't kill him though, which makes me upset. And then he's like, get in the car, we're going. And before they leave, he texts Las Vegas. Then the whole gas station disappears after they leave. Yeah, interesting. I assume hey? it goes back to the weird alter in 1950 with the big roaches and gross shit. But who knows? Who knows? So then we cut to the woods where Stevie and this junkie woman are freaking out. He's talking about killing himself. And he's like, but... I'm a high school graduate. What?
1: Yeah. It was it was really it was really hard to hear that. Like I had to sort of put the subtitles on to understand what it's, he was saying there. And he's,
0: I mean, it it's an interesting performance, but like just that little tip of it, but I'm a high school graduate. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So then it's just this like this back and forth about, no, don't kill yourself. Oh, but I have a duty. Then this man with a dog starts walking by and sees them. So then they scatter and freak out. We just follow the woman, but hear a gunshot where Stevie's location was. So presumably he did kill himself. Then the dog walker goes back to the trailer park to tell
1: Cora about the incident because he knows mm. that Stevie lives there. I just, I just want to pause here for a second because the dog walker is somebody whose name you will have seen in the credits a lot, uh, but we haven't actually talked about him very much on this podcast. And we haven't even talked about him at all, to be honest on this podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, That man is Mark Frost. And Mark Frost is the co-creator of Twin Peaks. Nice. He was a TV writer back in the, back in the day and he worked on like Hill Street Blues and stuff in the eighties. And he helped Lynch develop the show into, you know, the TV format Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, he co-wrote The Return with Lynch, so he didn't have a hand in okay. directing or anything like that, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, he was the, he was the co-writer on that, they wrote it together. He also wrote a couple of books, which, one of which came out before The Return came out, mm-hmm. The Secret History of Twin Peaks, and that was kind of a, um, you know, it was, it was sort of designed to fill the gap of, you know, what might have happened between, in the 25 years between the seasons. Oh. And he also wrote a book which came out afterwards called The Final Dossier, which I think was intended to sort of tie up some loose ends. Now, the way that they kind of work together is that um, it's generally considered that Mark Frost is more of the story guy. Mm. So a lot of the stuff which has more of a traditionally acceptable narrative flow is usually attributed to, to Frost. Right, Because he's, you know, he's big on story and he, you know, he's, he's interested in mythology and, um, and a whole lot of interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. And more of the abstract stuff generally comes from Lynch. And the, the right. way that it's presented <laughs> on the screen is, is pure Lynch, pretty much. But yeah, you know, just an interesting little tidbit. Because we hadn't actually, he's, you know, Mark Frost is heavily responsible for, for all of Twin Peaks. And uh, we haven't actually mentioned him once, which is probably um, a failing on my part. So yeah, that's, that's who that man is. Awesome yeah
0: so cut away from that to the bang bang bar where jimmy and Freddy are jimmy tries to say hi to this woman but her husband is very upset starts a fight with him so Freddy intervenes with his magic hand glove and bashes the dude's
1: face in basically <laughs> yeah this was so good and i love that it this was, was um- so cool the zz top song is playing right. which, is a, which is a great track <laughs> you know perfect dad but i also
0: like how we we probably can't afford to have them there so let's just have the guy
1: announce the song is to be the next one playing yeah 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 exactly and i love what like when he when he punches him the song completely just like brrr, like you know like record <laughs> skips pretty much do you know much about zz top they were in back to the future three that's right yeah I, I, just an interesting little tidbit um so Zizi Top, obviously, I've got iconically long beards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you know, the the one clean shaven guy in the band. Yeah, his name his name you're gonna you're gonna laugh at this. His name is Frank Beard, and he's the only clean shaven <laughs> one. <laughs>
0: awesome i know listen eh? to zz top
1: that's a great i mean sharp-dressed man the song they use is a is a banging tune that's really it's a really cool track i really love it (laughs)
0: oh that oh that oh it's
1: so good
0: oh fuck that's good so yeah they beat up this man and they get arrested They get taken to the Twin Peaks uh, police department and get arrested next to Chad, the weird woman, and a guy who also got his face messed up. Yeah. And, like, we never hear any more about that guy except he just echoes whatever is repeated to him and just weird stuff. So that's yeah. weird. And then we get Mr. Todd office where he calls Roger in to find Anthony. And Chantel comes in, kills them both
1: yep what yeah No, i mean i'm guessing that was part of the assignment from mr c was right you know because he said i think he said to them you know i've got a double header for you in las vegas so presumably he knew that he couldn't trust todd to get the job done because he's already failed two or three times to get dougie taken out yeah so he's a loose end
0: but also, I like how, like, in there was, like, a close-up before, like, Mr. Todd is killed, and you can see, like, it's not him, it's just, like, a prop meant to be, like, a blood squirt, and then just the head just exposed. like, oh, okay, that was worth it for that slight little one second, like, okay, that's not him, but the blood squirt was cool.
1: Yeah, I, lo- I love her little moment when, you know, Roger hasn't quite died, too, he's kind of, like, mm-hmm. off-screen, sort of, like, wheezing, he's just like, oh, god, hold on.
0: She <laughs> turns around, she's like, <laughs> Like... But also in the moment, I'm like, come on, how many people have you presumably killed so much that you're not going to double tap every single time? Like, come on. Yeah. You're too concerned about your Wendy's order, you yeah, crazy exactly. woman. So then we cut to the Dougie household where good Mr. Cooper is enjoying some cake and Janie's lovingly looking at him. Oh, Dougie, all our dreams are coming true. And then we see him just, you know, smiling, oh, eating his cake. Then he starts playing with the TV remote until mm-hmm. the TV turns on and the program starts talking about an old team get gordon cole and then you just see cooper just a moment of realization and he's like he's contemplating things then he sees an outlet next to the tv sees his fork so he just jams it into the outlet Mm -hmm. electricity goes wild he's
1: out Janie screams that that film classic hollywood film um, sunset boulevard is i think lynch's favorite film or um, one of his favorite films it's definitely like a huge influence on him and I think he named the Gordon Cole character after Gordon Cole from that movie
0: I was going to say, is that like a made up program that he directed? But no. Okay, that's cool. That's It's him paying homage to something he really likes. That's cool. Mm. So then cut to the Twin Peaks station where Log Lady calls Hawks to say that she's dying. And just a final goodbye to her. And I, I got upset. I liked Log Lady. She's cool. Yeah. In the brief little interactions I get with her. And just, it was just a nice little send off t- for, mm. but also a warning to watch out for that one. Under the moon. My log is turning gold good night and then we get this shot of the moon being in like covered in darkness like oh that's Mm. cool just to signify yeah that's her passing just Mm. the darkness overcame and she's gone
1: did we talk about this in an earlier episode i can't remember the the actress who played the log lady was um a good friend of lynch's and was involved in i think she was in his first film and you know was with him throughout his whole career Mm -hmm. um she was really really ill towards, you know, when they were gearing up to shoot the return. And I think they shot those scenes with her. Like they sort of set it, set it all up. And she was, she was basically days away from death at that stage. And she just managed to sort of belt out this incredible understated performance, you know, clearly in a lot of pain. And um, I think she died maybe three or four days later. Um, And this is, you know, back in 2015 so i think that i think those scenes might have been the very very first thing that they shot for the return Mm. yeah
0: oh that's great to hear that he did that for just yeah the most beautiful send-off ever for this one person who meant Mm. the world to him probably
1: yeah absolutely
0: so then hawks gives the news to the rest of the group and just lucy's devastated which like yeah i'm sad too lucy so then after this (sighs) billy bullshit Back to Audrey and Charlie, back to nonsense, blah, 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 put your coat on, let's go, and then then finally Audrey just attacks Charlie and goes, I fucking hate you. I'm like, yeah, me too. <laughs> I hate both of you. I hate. This is exactly how I feel. <laughs> then cut to Bang Bang Bar, a woman is pushed out of her booth by some bikers, she crawls on the ground of the dance floor, screams, credits.
1: Yeah, that was a cool scene, I really like that scene.
0: It was cool, but, like, fucking Billy bullshit preceding it again. Just, oh. (laughs) God. Yeah. God. Episode 16. Mr. C and Kid go to the coordinates where he's been getting the information from all this time. He sends the Kid up there with a tracker and so goes, What's it? So harmonious beeping? Then you found it. So then Kid goes up to this giant rock, goes, I found it, gets electrified, and presumably dies. Fuck yes yes
1: great oh feels so
0: good
1: they, they have a little exchange before that where he sort of says you know i've been given coordinates by three separate sources two of them are the same and one of them is different if you were faced with that what would you do And he goes, the two are the same. Yeah, I'd go to the two that are the same. Is that something you'd do,
0: Vinny? I mean, I am usually go to the opposite thing, so I would have done, like, well, the one that's different. It feels like the two were conspiring against me, so the one that's different must be the truth.
1: Hmm, interesting. I wonder if that says something about your um, conspiratorial nature, perhaps. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Do I have trust issues? Oh, buddy. You want this podcast (laughs) to be
0: four hours long? No. Let's keep going. All right, enough therapy. (laughs) So then... (laughs) <laughs> mr c just goes oh well goodbye my son
1: <laughs> now did you did you twig that there was a father-son relationship there before this
0: no i just figure it's like well i get, i should say something goodbye my son like kid like he's a kid or some youngster know, i didn't find any like lane
1: behind those words no the only reason i ask is that um this was kind of like a thread that people were tugging at um prior to this mm. episode because there was this whole thing about how, I think, on the, on the Skype call that Truman has with Doc, um, he mentions that Cooper went and saw Audrey Horn when she was in intensive care before he mm-hmm. vanished. And this was 25 years ago. And then we found uh, out that Richard was Audrey's son. And so we're sort of thinking, oh, drawing some pretty grim conclusions from that.
0: Well, good thing that's the last grim thing we'll talk about about a hospital scene in this podcast. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, but also during all this, like, what I think is Jerry, was it Jerry who was on looking with monoculars? I think I'm high! Yes. Okay, so Jerry was on like with this, trying to use binoculars, but using them the wrong way. He uses it like as a monocle, but it's also reversed. <laughs> yeah. So he can't see anything. Then,
1: once the explosion happened, he goes, Bad binoculars. <laughs> yeah, he thinks that somehow he's, his binoculars have caused this explosion to happen. <laughs> it's so funny. So funny. So,
0: so after all that, we, uh, Mr. C opens up his phone, sends an emote smiley face with all. But then we get a close-up of the phone, and it says, not delivered, which is like, Mm. hmm, interesting. So then, cut to outside the Dougie residence, where Hutch and Chantel are parked to scope out the place, but also the FBI stopped by to look at the place. Like, okay, well, something's going to happen with these two different factions. (laughs) Yeah. So then we establish that... And then we cut to the hospital where Cooper's on a ventilator, surrounded by Janie, Sonny Jim, Bushnell, and then eventually the Mitchums, where they're all, like, discussing, well, he's out of it. We don't know how long he's going to be in this coma. And then Mm -hmm. just Sonny Jim and Janie leave, and then Bushnell gets a call about the FBI scoping for Dougie at the office. So then he's worried, starts trying to plan. But also we cut to our beloved FBI agents and Gordon in a room with machines with the sound of the heart rate monitor interlaced over it. It's it's yeah. it's like directed in a way where Gordon it where Gordon's supposed to hear the heartbeat monitor. That's what I got from the language of the That's,
1: scene. Yeah, I'd never considered that. That's really something to think about.
0: Yeah. Because it's never addressed later about you know, hey, I heard you know it was just that one little insert of like Gordon knowing what that sound is because the sound is interlaced over him.
1: So it's like, does he know what yeah. is this? That's really interesting, and for the first. I mean, for as much sort of listening to discussions about about Twin Peaks and analysis and that kind sort of thing, this is the first time I've heard this interpretation. This is really interesting, Vinny. Ha <laughs> ha! Success! This podcast is worth it!
0: Let's <laughs> <laughs> not go crazy. But... <laughs> okay, well, I mean, we can't spell our own email address right, but uh, oh well. <laughs> Back to this. Uh, cut back to the Dougie household where it's Hutch, Chantel, the FBI, staking out the place. Then the Mitchum comes with catering to stock up on food to make sure Janie and Sunny Jim eat right. Which is like, oh, you guys, you, you guys are good. So then it's both sides being confused about what the hell is going on. <laughs> And then as Hutch and Chantel are looking, a man in an accounting uh, car comes up to them and says, hey, you're in my driveway. Like, we're not in your fucking driveway. Piss off. (laughs) (laughs) So then the man's like, all right, I'll move car for you. So then he just keeps ramming into their van, backing it until it's outside his driveway, he presumes. Then they get mad, start shooting at him, and then he goes to his trunk, gets out a different gun, and
1: just blows them both away. Yeah, very... strange scene
0: <laughs> it's so weird and then the fbi are on looking at this thing and just arrest that man after he kills them both so it's like everyone is taken care of and the Mitchums are very confused about what's going on and he says well people are stressed it's a calm neighborhood and
1: people but people are stressed <laughs> yeah i think that might be one of the funniest lines in the whole thing it's like you know. it's
0: so fucking funny just yeah. them putting the guns away as soon as they see that oh oh chill chill we're okay <laughs> <laughs> so but yeah, good. but honestly, as an action scene, it's shot great. Like, fuck,
1: David Lynch can direct action scenes. Yeah, man. And just going back to the like the Tarantino vibes, it's really like you, mm. that, you'd expect that in a Tarantino film. The whole. You know, being shot up and, like, you know, being riddled with bullets. And then they're still sort of, like. <laughs> Tim Roth being shot up, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Coasting towards, like, you know, the the handbrakes off. And it's just kind of coasting towards the thing and, like, you know, rams into that pole, you know, at you know, a very slow pace. It's just very Tarantino.
0: <laughs> so then after that nonsense, cut back to the hospital where the man missing an arm fades in with the red room. And Cooper wakes up. And he goes, are you awake? 100%. The other one is still out there then Cooper goes, do you have the seed? Then he takes out the gold ball, which used to mm-hmm. be Dougie. Like, wait, that's a seed? That's the seed that Dougie was made out of? Mm, maybe. Uh, and then he he tells him that he has to make another one, pulls out a clump of hair, gives it to the man, and the man just nods about it. And then he just disappears into the ether again.
1: <laughs> yeah. There's some interesting stuff going on there.
0: Uh- and then everyone comes back in the room, sees that he's fine, he gets discharged with great vitals, and then he starts prepping to leave, get, getting dressed, and sends Janie and sending Jim to get the car, and then he asks Bushnell for the secret gun he has, which that was a small thing, and I'm like, that's interesting that I assume that Cooper was locked in there all this time, but he was still observing his surroundings, and spent enough time with Bushnell to see that he was packing on him the entire time.
1: Yeah. Yeah, potentially. Yeah, I hadn't considered that either. Ha-ha! Ha-ha, I mean, just, I mean, my reading of it was just that he's, you know, he's just so eagle-eyed that he kind of noticed a, you know, a little bulge in his, you know, where where the gun would be or something.
0: Yeah, but he says it like, give me that uh, gun you you have on you oh, at all times. I'm like, oh, okay, so he knows that it's on him. Hmm. okay, that's interesting. <laughs> so then he gets on the phone with the Mitchums to meet them at the casino, but also have their jet-fueled, and then Craig... This moment I've been waiting to tell you this entire time because Twin Peaks does the most anime thing possible where the opening song starts playing as shit is going down. (laughs) Craig, there are countless anime series where the final episode skips the opening song and in the final battle, the opening song plays almost like a, fuck yeah, let's go! And this was the most anime thing in this entire series. (laughs) Wow, okay.
1: Where I'm like, That's... David Lynch has seen anime. This is confirmed. I don't care what anyone else <laughs> says. It's interesting because one one of the criticisms, or well, well, maybe not criticism, but one of the observations was in the original series. There's these music cues and you know specific tracks that come up and sort of underpin various scenes. And in the return, a lot of that was absent. Like there were there were mm. very very few. And I think this might have been the first time outside of the title sequence that that track had been used.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Maybe. Uh, I'd have to check, but, um, yeah, definitely used to this kind of level of prominence, at least.
0: And then it gets more fuck yeah, where, like, it's Bushnell being like, but, um, um, oh, what's, oh, Cooper telling Bushnell, hey, if Gordon calls, give him this message. And then Bushnell goes, yeah, but also you should know the FBI is looking for you. Then Cooper goes, I am the FBI. Yeah. Fuck. Yes. As the music is playing, like, oh, this is so
1: good. You can imagine the reaction that that line got from fans of the original show who have been waiting, mm-hmm. like, 16 hours at this point for Cooper to <laughs> come back, basically. <laughs> you can imagine oh, the kind of response that got.
0: Fuck. Like, if, if you saw this in, like, a theater, just the cheers, the roaring cheers. Oh, of fans yeah. Was, oh. Okay, so then after that fuck yeah moment, we get to cut to D- Diane, where hours later, she gets the text. It's because I remember I was looking at the timestamps when he sent it. It was like two a.m., and then he she gets it just delivered at like twelve p.m. So it took a while for that text to go through, and then she mm-hmm. says to herself, "I remember, oh coop," and texts back a bunch of numbers to him. And then we establish that she's like frazzled by all this and has a gun in her purse and is going to tell the FBI team what she remembers about that last time she saw Cooper. So she tells this narrative how she saw Cooper again three or four years after the last contact she had with him, how he was very different. He acted very different and stern and was grilling her about what was happening in the FBI since since his disappearance. And then at one point, he leaned in for a kiss, and she admits, well, it happened before, We how we've kissed each other before, but this time felt so different. The second he touched my lips, I knew it was different. And then he took comfort in seeing her pain, and then just the most heart- heartbreaking performance ever, how she just disclosed that he raped her. Mm. Yeah, this was like, harrowing to watch. It's so powerful and just so... Like, the uneasiness I got just from her words, and performance. Like, God, like, Mr. C's already a villain in my mind, but... It, it, it keeps sinking lower and lower, just... I mean, Laura Dern, you are acting your ass off, and I believe every word, every... Because you can just see in her eyes and the crying, she's reliving it again. Like, for some reason, she forgot about this as well, and it just came back to her, and she's having to relive this as she's giving the information to the FBI.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can think about how she might have suppressed this for so long, and, right, you know, clearly she, you know, drinks a lot, and, um you know engages in activity that is perhaps you know that the people who have gone through that experience um often exhibit you know there's right you know there's the you know ways to kind of try and get past it. In, you know probably not the healthiest healthiest ways mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's powerful stuff
0: It was so powerful and then we keep cutting back to like the gun in her purse and like teasing she's taking it out but she takes out like a smoke or like candies or whatever on the table and then she disclosed how she was taken to an old gas station afterwards and then she starts mumbling to herself in sheriff station I'm not me. She says that a few times, and you can see, like, Tammy, Albert, and Gordon, like, being uneasy about it. It's like, what's going on? And then she finally pulls out the gun, aims it, and then Tammy and Albert just shoot her up, and then her body just warps out of that reality. And then we get this little thing about Tammy being, like, a real Tupa. I'm like, Tupa? What the heck are you talking about? I, I was very confused in that moment. <laughs> a, what's a toopa? Tupa.
1: What, what was your what was your reaction when she sort of like flew out of the room? What I mean at this point, I already
0: I already assumed that she goes to the red room, like she goes there. Like at this point, where when shit disappears, you go to the red room. So I'm like, huh, interesting. How at this moment she dies, presumably she's taken there. Mm. And then what uh, what happens after that? So then we get a shot to her of the red room. She's sitting in the chair, and then the man with the missing arm approaches her. And goes, someone manufactured you. And then she goes, I know. Fuck you. (laughs) Yeah,
1: that's right.
0: (laughs) And then we just get the static shock of her in the chair, just moving her jaw. And then a loud jaw cracks. And then her face is her face caves in on itself then we see a black smoke and the gold ball the seed if you will and then mm. it's like yeah she was a manufactured doppelganger so it's like wait so where's the real diane then yeah or was diane just the just the tape recorder and then she was just made off that idea that this is who cooper
1: confides in uh, this is one of the big uh, one of the big mysteries
0: and then, after that bad shit nonsense, we get we get to see the casino, Cooper uh, takes in Janie and Sonny Jim, and Mitchum's like, oh, when are we all going? He's like, give us a sec. So then, we get this very heartfelt goodbye between Cooper and Sonny Jim and Janie, and he tells them, you made my heart so full. Like, he was paying attention this entire time, and him... Being with a family, because I imagine like him 25 years in the red room is like, who knows what the fuck he felt, how he felt in there. And then just being entered into this family. Sure, it's troubled, but it's still family. You know, he helped them in a way in his vegetative state.
1: And Mm. then
0: Janie is like pondering on the fact, wait, you aren't Dougie. And then he makes a promise how I'll walk through that red door and I'll be home for good. Which at this point, I'm like, okay, well. It's not going to be him. It's going to be the the one-armed man who made another Dougie do- doppelganger. That's what I assume he is promising. And yeah. then he kisses Janie goodbye and then rides off in a limo with the Mitchums. And he tells the Mitchums the entire truth, who he is, what he's about, and where they're going. The Twin Peaks Shifts Department. And the Mitchums are like, "Uh, we have uh, trouble going to an establishment like that. And then. Yeah. Cooper goes. I'll vouch for you. You guys have hearts of gold. <laughs> but I just love that how that's their immediate thing.
1: Like we're helping you, but ugh, cops. Uh, we we'll don't yeah. do well <laughs> with those guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They do say something like, you know, we're not well liked by law enforcement or something like that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so then it's like, fuck yeah, moment. We're heading back to Twin Peaks with Cooper. <sighs> Cut to the Bang Bang Bar, and it's Eddie Vedder performing
1: under a different name. <laughs> yeah. That's an interesting point. Yeah, I think I think that's his real name.
0: It probably is, yeah, because yeah. Eddie as well something. <laughs> but I was there like, oh, the most nineties things ever, Eddie Vedder. <laughs> Yeah, river flow. (laughs) So anyway, I'm like,
1: okay, vibe. (laughs)
0: This Seattle (laughs) for all you Zoomers. That's what grunge is. Yeah, Yeah, you know those Nirvana
1: T-shirts you see down at Hot Topic. Yeah. (laughs) anyways let's let's move on
0: so i was like okay cool i get to hear eddie Vedder performing then who walks in to the bang bang bar audrey and charlie fuck
1: off i don't care is what my note says but this was their whole this was their end goal though they wanted to get to the they wanted to go to the roadhouse and yeah but look they've put their (laughs) coats on they've made it out the door you should be yeah. happy, right?
0: I sh- Yeah, totally. I'm, I'm happy. So then it's just them talking around to various people as the performance goes on. So then after the performance ends, the announcer goes, Now it's Audrey's dance. Then this song comes on and Audrey, almost in a hypnotic state, starts dancing at the dance floor that's just been cleared out by everyone. So apparently this is a thing that happens where Audrey does a dance by herself on the dance floor and almost in like a hypnotic state. And then a random fight breaks out between two men and it kind of snaps Audrey out of her like trance where she immediately runs to Charlie and goes, get me out of here. And in that moment, she is teleported to a white room where she's not wearing the same makeup or same clothing. She just looks at a white room and a mirror at herself. And then just she's confused. She's like, what, what? And then cut back to the main stage of the band, weird audio plays of their music, and then credits.
1: Yeah, so what's going on there?
0: What's going on is they're trying to make this plot thread relevant, and I don't like it.
1: I'll give you a little bit of behind-the-scenes knowledge because um, I think you'd find this interesting. So mm-hmm. when the when the script was being written, um, apparently Audrey's scenes were very, very different. So what we saw on screen was not what was originally written for mm-hmm. that character. And we don't know for sure, but there's some evidence to suggest that what happened between Richard and his grandmother... Mm-hmm. And that whole scene. There's some evidence to suggest that that was originally intended to be Audrey in that situation, rather mm. than rather than the grandmother. Okay, Sherilyn Fenn, who plays Audrey, whatever the scene was as written, she didn't like it and basically refused to do it. So the whole Audrey storyline was essentially written at the last minute and was one of the very last things that they shot. <laughs> you don't say. I don't get the impression of that at all. And. um Yeah, so I think Lynch wrote that by himself and added it in sort of at the last minute so that Audrey would have a presence in the story. But if it seems a little bit disjointed, which, it, you know, clearly you've articulated that it does, um, that's probably the reason behind it. So,
0: yeah. Just, let me just go on my little rant here. So, the reason why I hate this is, it's obviously disjointed, but like, it's weird but not in the sense everything else is weird because everything else is weird is at least intriguing this is just dumb domestic stuff that has zero place I feel like I'm late to class and just listening to the lecture I don't know what's going on and it's just a circle of back and forth argument which is sure realistic for a domestic you know argument but Just get to the point, please. And then you get to the point, I'm still upset, and then, oh, wait, this is weird shit, and now it's going to pertain to whatever the
1: weirdness is in the overall show. Ugh. Mm. Now, I can sense your frustration, and um, (laughs) that that was definitely shared among the the community. Um, I think a lot of people were frustrated with the Audrey stuff. As fans who had an attachment to Original Recipe Audrey, it was very... Jarring and very um, disconcerting to see her character portrayed in that way. i think I think personally, I think it's a weaker it's a weak point in the in the return overall. Um, I probably don't have the same level of vitriol towards it as you do <laughs> but mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I think I think it's definitely one of the weaker aspects of the of the uh, narrative, yeah, and that kind of brings us to the end of the End of the four episodes isn't it Recapping. yep shall we talk about the end of Evangelion then yes let's 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 get it over with <laughs> all right let's get
0: you to unit one
1: Move it! this was a hard watch for me not so much in terms of what you know actually watching it but trying to recap and describe what had happened. I, th- I think we we were messaging back and forth a little bit, and um you sort of mentioned, you sort of said that it was more this film is more of an experience or something that you experience rather than sort of you know follow specifically. Right. And I definitely felt that. and i'm I'm all about that. I think that's cool. but yeah, i I only watched this film the once, um and I didn't make any notes while I was watching it, but I think I've managed to sort of cobble together pretty much what happens. Alright, so, end of Evangelion, and I'm assuming this picks up right from where the anime sort of left off. It picks
0: up from after episode 24 and runs concurrently with episode 25 and
1: 26. So, this opens with a scene of Shinji visiting Oscar in a, hotel, in a hospital room, uh, where she's in a coma, and she's hooked up to a bunch of medical devices. kind of pouts a bit, and tries to wake her up, and he... In doing so, he kind of turns her over and her shirt comes undone, clearly. There's some lingering shots of her IV drip, and it's very made very clear that the door is locked. And um, you kind of hear the sound of what I first thought was Shinji kind of sobbing. But then you see that he somehow silently sneezed into his hand and has um, mucus <laughs> from his sneeze all over his hand. Maybe he has allergies or something. No, no, <laughs> listeners. Um, he, he was he, he was jerking off over his over her comatose body. Yep.
0: The opening scene of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, Craig! You have a tissue over your microphone. It's that my, doesn't help
1: it's my pop filter no it does it does actually um
0: no just visually just what you just described and then you pull out a tissue like wait craig
1: no yeah so yeah he was jerking off over her comatose body and this is less than two minutes into the film um and we're confronted with a very graphic shot of shinji's hand covered in semen it's funny murmurs, that you
0: thought it was snot because that's what I thought when I was very young saw this for the first time.
1: I thought he was crying that she's just out of it. No. No, that no, that's very much not what I thought. And he murmurs "This is so fucked up." To mm-hmm. which I said, yep. <laughs> "Yep." Oh, Vinny, like what? How was this received in the fan community? Like was was there a discussion around this when the film came out or since?
0: Uh, yes, it's it's Anno making a commentary about how gross anime fans are and how their over-sexualization of the young teen protagonist in any type of medium. So it's like, this is him confronting the fan like, see, this is you. This is what you do to innocent characters. You just use them as objects. But then it's also us discussing, this is very much too far and not how you should open a movie.
1: Yeah no it's, uh, oh, it's it's so gross <laughs> like uh. anyway we move on from that thank god um and we see that gendo is talking to a bunch of monoliths who i think are either the avatars or like they're either communicating through these monoliths though they're, they're people who i think are mem- members of Sile, this yes organization or something and yeah they decide to send an army to infiltrate and then overrun the Nerve headquarters. And basically, all these soldiers kind of get into the base and they essentially slaughter most of the staff who are working there. There's a really huge battle and Masato tries to kind of hold off the attack for as long as she can. Um, She also orders that Oscar be put into one of the Ava's, I think, Unit 2?
0: Yeah, her Unit 2, yeah.
1: Yeah. And then deployed to basically the bottom of the lake where she'll be harder to find yeah masato tries to go off and find shinji who's cowering under the under a staircase in a depressive state Mm -hmm. probably because he's rightfully ashamed of what he just did in the in the hospital room (laughs) say let him find him let him just blow his brains out come on Uh, a group of soldiers do find him And they're about to pop a cap in his dome when Masato shoots at them. She blows off one of their heads in this really cool kind of fuck yeah moment. Hell yeah. Then she gets mad at Shinji for being a mopey little bitch. Yep. Yeah, he's kind of saying, oh, I just, I want to die. And she sort of does this really cool, no, fuck you, You you're not, you can die later, you little bitch, (laughs) (laughs) essentially. (laughs) He's not having any of his bullshit. She drags him out and gets him to an elevator, but then she is then shot in the process. Yes. does she die at this stage?
0: Yeah. Um, I okay. I find her as like clinging to life at that stage. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah, because I wasn't quite sure if she had died or not. Okay. But yeah, Shinji then finds Unit One.
0: Well, Craig, you missed You missed something. Okay, she, what
1: about... she kisses him. Right. Okay. And says,
0: "That's how grown-ups kiss. We can do the rest when you get back."
1: Oh yeah no i did miss that i think i was probably still reeling from the hospital room scene to be honest (laughs) Uh, but yeah how do you feel about that um so he's still 14 yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) and she's still and she's still 29 okay yeah so not great (laughs) um what was what's that a commentary on is that like anime fans wish fulfillment or what i don't know I mean, it could be, like, the
0: shipping, like, between, oh, why do you ship, like, the, the kids with their mentors, like, that's gross, that's disgusting, but I yeah. also took it in a realistic sense, like, Masato knows she's dying, she needs to motivate this boy somehow, how the fuck am I gonna motivate this whiny little bitch, I know, the one thing he wants the most in the
1: world. Yeah, there's anything, I know, having been a 14-year-old boy, yep, mm-hmm. that would, that would probably have done Oh yeah,
0: you kidding me, I would have,
1: I would have fired a
0: hundred angels <laughs> after that.
1: God. Anyway, Gendo, meanwhile, he finds Rey and plans to use her somehow to trigger the third impact, Mm -hmm. which to me seems a little bit selfish.
0: Yep. Well, that's why... This is why this entire operation is, is being, a, because it's him talking to Sele, and then they're like, this isn't part of the plan. What are you doing? We're supposed to just cause instrumentality. And Gendo's like, yes, I have all the plans. I have every single chess piece. I'm going to do it without you guys. So then that's when Sele sends the army to infiltrate Nerve to try and stop ah, Gendo and
1: everyone. I see. Okay. So he kind of wants to trigger the third impact because that will somehow reunite him with Shinji's mother, right? Yes, U-ray. Yui who Ray is a clone of yes is she a clone yeah okay cool uh Ritsuko tries to stop him by setting up a computer virus that is also her mother yes that's established in the original series yeah all right okay
0: <laughs> okay so <laughs> just to briefly summarize it so the, it's it's the magi it's it's based off the the her mother's brain and it's three different operations of the brain it's the, it's the mental capacity of the mom who is identifies as a woman The mental right. capacity that identifies as a mother And the mental capacity that identifies as a scientist It's those three inner workings of a mind huh. Trying to convey what is best for nerve operations And all that So it's her trying to cause an explosion And convince those three aspects of her mom That the right choice is to kill everyone in Gendo Because he is a madman
1: Right Right. Okay. Then that's good context, but then Gindo kills her.
0: <laughs> yes, because the 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 part that of the of the mom that identified as a woman said no to the operation. No, I,
1: okay. I think I've got that. <laughs> Anyways, um, meanwhile, Oscar wakes up inside unit whatever. She emerges from the lake and <laughs> she throws a fucking battleship at a bunch of military equipment. Which yeah. Cool as fuck. That was awesome. I love this action. Asuka's such a badass. I love this entire sequence of her just owning everyone. She also punches some rockets that are th- that are sort of deployed at her, which was really fucking cool. Um mm-hmm. like she just like, you know, punches them and they sort of like crumble around her fist. It was it was really cool. A bunch of weird white things. And I wasn't sure if these were like Ava's or angels or what? Artificial Ava's word? made by Artif- Sale. so it's, right. they
0: made an Ava with the dummy plugs inside them, so this is just Ava's just void of any humanity
1: just being run by the dummy plug. Okay, right. Okay, so these, yeah, these, I think, nine of these things, I yes. think? And she has to destroy all of them in less than three minutes for some reason.
0: Because her entry plug was unplugged, so now the battery in her thing only has three oh, minutes left of
1: power. Right. Yeah, okay. And she sort of does this whole thing about, you know, I've only, it's there's one every 20 seconds or something like that. You know, I can, yep. I can do it. She plows through all of them, um, which is awesome. But then they kind of come back to life, and one of them pierces her force field thing with this trident and stabs her right through the fucking face. Yep. The artificial Avas then start ripping Unit 2 to absolute smithereens like they're fucking like vultures feasting on a carcass or something. Yeah, it's it's so gory. It's just so visceral. Yeah, oh, it was yeah, that was gnarly to watch. And then I've got one paragraph to describe the rest of the <laughs> the rest of the story. <laughs> a bunch of weird shit happens with Ray and Lilith. Question mark. She kind of gets absorbed into it and becomes a divine being. I think mm-hmm. there's about a half hour of abstract imagery and a song that i know you want to talk about vinny Mm -hmm. and there's also in in amongst this there's a whole lot of shots of like real life shots of a movie theater and then an audience watching this stuff and then Mm -hmm. real people in a crowd and stuff Mm -hmm. eventually Ray and shinji end up in this kind of weird in between space and they are kind of merged into this single entity yes which is kind of The way their bodies are kind of positioned and merged, it looks like they're, you know, having sex or, you know, she's on top of him, but they're kind of, you know, they're talking to each other and eventually an unconscious Oscar and a conscious Shinji end up on this scorched earth landscape with like this giant ray behind them, like in the sky, Mm -hmm. I think. He cries and tries to strangle Oscar, who then Mm -hmm. strokes his face and says, how disgusting the end the end
0: just hard cut to the end
1: yeah and man yeah i don't know dude like
0: (laughs) craig this was the ending people had before the rebuilds it's like this is it
1: this is it this is why everyone wanted the rebuilds (laughs) yeah i can and i totally i totally get that because watching this i'm just like even with all the context of the anime i'm pretty sure this ending would have Really ruffled some feathers. Yes, absolutely. How, how was how was this received
0: in the fan community? Okay, so before this, it was the two episode uh, finale of the series where you think in a mecha show like the finale would be like, oh, big giant robots, big final fight, we stop the thing. That is not what the original ending was. It the original ending was basically a long therapy session for Shinji to accept that other people exist and we need to a- accept our relationship with human beings in order to live. And it ends with a bunch of characters clapping at Shinji telling him congratulations credits. Wow, okay. Cuz I mean So then when that backlash happened, the studio was like, "Make a movie finale." Wait, what do you mean a movie finale? That was my finale. People hate it. They want big anime fights with robots. So, this is what happens when
1: you tick off the creator. Yeah, people want big robot fights and um, gratuitous ejaculation scenes.
0: Yeah, so you can feel the hate in this movie, can't you? With that, with the violence, with the gore, with the treatment of everyone, you can feel the hate, can't you?
1: Yeah, and even, like... um, I feel like there was some real interesting meta stuff going on towards the end there with like the shots of the movie theater and the shots of people in the movie, you know, presumably watching the movie. That Mm -hmm. almost felt to me like the creator sort of saying, you know, you're all kind of complicit in this shit. Like, you know, you're you're the one fucking sitting there lapping this up. Like, what's wrong with you kind of thing. It's kind Mm -hmm. of the vibe that I got. Okay, so to put in context about that big 30 minute chunk, you're
0: like, what the fuck is happening? So... This is what the Human Instrumentality Project is. It is to make every person on Earth into one human being free of fear, free of, you know, feelings, free of consciousness. Just one human being, one consciousness. We do not suffer. This is our next evolution. So that is what is triggered when Ray conjoins with Lillian and starts causing basically the rapture where everyone starts turning into LCL, this goop. Everyone, before they turn into it, see a vision of someone they care about or just see a bunch of ghostly rays. So for one of the girls inside the command center, she sees ritsuko like hug her because secretly she had a crush on her this entire time and she goes i need you so then one guy sees masato who kisses him and then he you know gets raptured then one guy just sees a bunch of ghostly rays and freaks out so clearly he just had a bad experience right and then we see gendo's right man for see you be like was this what you wished for and then he gets you
1: know raptured and that's what they that's when they all kind of like explode into that orangey goop Yes, because that's them becoming the same being. And is that kind of, is that substance when Rey and Shinji are kind of conjoined, is that kind of where they are in in all of that? Yes, they're inside it. Huh. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, it's starting (laughs) to fall into place. (laughs) I mean, it's still nonsense, but you see, like, the logic behind the nonsense, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's got an internal logic.
0: So, yeah, so... Shinji inside an in awakened unit one is like also the the spire that will control whether humanity survives as that or not. So, so giant Ray Lilith thing happens and basically just so the rest of the world you know turns into the soup that you see all the crosses and the right. lights and the planet Earth turns red. That's every other soul just being taken to this primordial ooze if you want to call it that. Right. <laughs> hmm. So then within shinji being the pillar for this that is when episode 25 and 26 happens of the anime where he accepts humanity and their desires their hurt their feeling and that's when he goes no i don't want this so then that's when he commands it all to just end okay so that's when he talks with rei about humanity and being what's it about being alive so basically shinji had the power of god in that moment he said no i don't want this so then just stops everything well Guess what, buddy? The apocalypse still happens, so it's just gonna be you and Asuka left on the beach, and everyone else can choose if they want their form back. So, (sighs) okay, so what's happening? Okay. So basically everyone else can return from the ooze if they want to. They are they have to go through their own psychological, you know, venture in order to right. see if they want to come back. So yeah, you just get that shot of Ray. I mean of Shinji and Oscar on the beach. And the way I interpreted her being choked is him making sure that he's in reality. Like, what are you? Are you like a vision? Are you my desires? What are you? He wanted to okay. see a reaction from her. And then in that moment, she gives the one piece of kindness she's ever given to him instead of like, oh, idiot Shinji, you're such a brat. Oh, why don't you do something? She just strokes his face out of kindness. And then that's when he cries like, this is real. The apocalypse happened. I did all this. And this one girl that I love, I'm about to kill her because I thought she's imaginary. And then also with the disgusting line with Asuka, there's two things Mm. about it. One, it's the interpretation that she knows that he jerked off on her body because when they're all one consciousness, they share feelings and emotions and memories. So that's what I interpreted her being like disgusting. Like, no, now I know what you did to me earlier. That's
1: uncomfortable. (laughs)
0: And then then also behind the scenes on how um, director... Um, got that performance from her is was that she, she didn't really know she wasn't acting in that first scene because you know mm-hmm. you don't need a voice in that scene she's just comatose so it's just Hideaki Anno discussing okay Asuka because he didn't like the original way she was saying disgusting and like the final moment then then he gives context about what happens imagine you're in a, a hospital bed a man is in there he do anything in the world to you he can do whatever he wants to. You can't do anything. You're asleep. You don't know what's going on. And then he he does what he does. How do you feel? And she goes disgusting. That's how right. he got the performance in that final oh. moment. Oh, which is like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's... but it's a genuine reaction. It's not acting. It's her generally saying disgusting.
1: I mean, you hear you hear these stories about how directors get performances out of out of their actors and yeah that's that's icky mm-hmm. but um that's the end of avangillion <laughs> yep i i could not imagine being a fan of this and having that as an ending like i would be i would be pretty mad to be honest it was better received
0: because the cool violence fights
1: yeah and i mean i i did I, don't get me wrong i did enjoy all the abstract imagery and all that kind of stuff and um I was going to do a separate section about music in this discussion, but I think we can just kind of talk about this now. That song. Mm -hmm. What's the name of that song? Calm Susser Todd. Which means come sweet death, I think. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Vinny, is this the most upbeat song about depression and suicidal ideation in the world? Yes. That is why I am obsessed with this song,
0: because... Not only does it play over the apocalypse of this entire movie, it talks about depression.
1: Ano was the one who wrote the lyrics for that song. Now I have a question about this: in the Japanese release of this film, were those lyrics still in English? Yes. Okay, so that's the only version of the song. There isn't like yes. a Japanese. Okay, it's it's just, it's just interesting to me that um, you know for a Japanese production. A Japanese creator to write a song where the lyrics are sung in English, and it has a title which is what German? I believe Germany. Yeah. Is there anything to that, or like was it just? I, I'd imagine that for a for a Japanese audience that wasn't um, that didn't you know didn't know English so well, it would be almost like us watching the second film and having that really cool lullaby song right um, in, in that final scene in Japanese and not knowing what it's actually about or anything. I right. mean was, because
0: was I, I take those both instances you just feel the vibe of the song over this yeah. moment
1: I wonder how much if anything the meaning of the lyrics was kind of lost on a, a Japanese audience or an, on a non-english speaking audience right because those lyrics are fucking bleak man like great. Right? <laughs> Yeah,
0: like they're sung in a way where it's not a bleak song. It's no. you know the tempo is upbeat. It's tumbling down, tumbling, and it's but the second you analyze it and listen, you're like wow, this this feels appropriate for the song for the ends of the world. Yeah,
1: and I mean I don't have the lyrics in front of me, but it's all things like you know I know I've let you down and my love is gone and you know and I don't I want to end things. You know it's mm. it's lines like It all like keeps that. tumbling down. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me of um, I. I'm going to think about this because I heard it in, the, in a chemist yesterday. Um, the song Steal My Sunshine, mm. which is, you know, which is a really sort of poppy, upbeat song. And mm-hmm. it's about depression. You l- listen to the lyrics and it's all about, you know, being in a depressive funk, basically. And yeah. it's like, the, it's, it's just, as the kids say, a huge bop. Yeah. Yeah. The, it reminded me of that a little bit. Great song, though. Like, far out. What a, right? what a banger. I actually, I listened to it on... Um, in the car this morning because I had to drive somewhere, and it <laughs> it lasted the exact like the exact um, duration because it's a long it's a nice. long track it's, it's nearly it's eight so minutes long. long. Yeah. Um, shall we move on to our next section then? Let's talk about resemblances. Let the sacrament begin. Is there anything from these four episodes of Twin Peaks that that you've noticed that sort of correspond or uh, there's parallels to? In the end of the Evangelion film, anything that you, jumps out at you? A character named Ray is a pawn in this grand scheme and it fulfills their purpose. Yes. Yes. Yes, a character named Ray, that's great. And also, a character named Ray, through external mechanations ends up in an extra dimensional space. Yeah. That's great. That's really cool. (laughs) That's really cool. I felt like fuck Yama when I realized that. (gasps) He's also named Ray. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. No, that's cool. I didn't have too much. Uh, I'm tossing up whether to sort of bring this up. But um, just just what we spoke on before around um, some of those scenes that are shot in real life um, of real people and real crowds and real audiences and stuff. Mm-hmm. And how that does kind of add a meta element to to the story. Yes. There's an argument there that um, this is either the creator kind of acknowledging the audience and making them complicit in something or that it's the characters kind of in a way becoming aware that they're part of a story. Mm-hmm. I feel like, and you're going to hate this, I feel like there's a parallel with that in Audrey's Audrey and Charlie's story Come because... On and without getting too far into the weeds there is a, a reading there Audrey's story is a meta narrative and there's some awareness of her being a character in a narrative yeah again you're going to hate this there's, and it's just it's just little things like at some point Charlie says something about something to her about you know well you know Audrey do I have to end your story now which yeah. kind of throws her for a loop there's also the fact that Eddie Vedder's um, song, or Eddie Vedder is introduced at, at the Roadhouse by his real actual birth name, mm-hmm. which people have interpreted as being well, you know, is this perhaps set in our real reality? Mm-hmm. Because of that, also the fact that Audrey's dance is referred to by the MC at the at the Roadhouse. Yeah. There's a scene there's a scene in the original series where she dances to that music and the name of the track on the official like soundtrack is Audrey's Dance. So the the name of that track is Audrey's Dance. And yeah there's this analysis that um you know the fact that it's referred to as that within the narrative is a is a meta commentary on the real song as it exists in the real world. So mm-hmm. I mean, again, this is all open to interpretation. There's no sort of clear answer on any of this bullshit. But yep. that was a little parallel that I found. Is that there's, there's inklings towards perhaps there's something at a meta level going on in both of these, both of these texts. Nice. Let, let's plug on ahead. Let's, um, let's start wrapping this up. So the next couple of episodes that you'll be watching, Vinny, are the finale. The two-part yep. finale. Part 17, the part dictates the future. And part 18, what is your name? Um, I thought it might be fun to do a little bit of wild speculation about what we and you might see in the next two hours of of the final two hours of the return. Yep. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw out a bunch of kind of scenarios or questions or ideas. We'll use it as a springboard for a bit of a discussion. But I want you to give me kind of a percentage chance that we might see this. So... You know, if something you think is really, really likely, it might be 90 or 100%. Um, If it's absolutely not going to happen, it's maybe like a 10% chance of it happening.
0: Yeah.
1: First scenario, do you think in the next two episodes we're going to get any more or any kind of resolution to Audrey's storyline? What
0: percentage?
1: 0%, 0%, 0%. 0%? So you think what we've seen now is the end of... Audreys.
0: I wouldn't be surprised if it was the end. Okay, maybe I'll build that up to ten percent. Maybe it'll just one more scene of just nonsense. But yeah, I don't I have zero faith in that being tied up in a nice
1: little bow for this finale. Cool. What percentage of a chance do you think that the the green glove will play a role in the finale? I'm gonna say a solid sixty percent. Yeah. In what way
0: do you think? I think He's going to break out of there, because clearly he, he's like the, the might of ten men. He can just break out, because shit's going down the sheriff's station, and he's there to help. That's what my prediction is.
1: Okay. Do you think we'll get any more with Diane? Ooh.
0: I think likelihood of more Diane is probably a good... 40%. Maybe like a flash of her, maybe a one line of dialogue, but I don't
1: think there would be much of her to, to be in the finale. Okay. Okay, what is the percentage that uh we'll get a surprise David Bowie appearance in the finale? percent I am 100%? fully convinced. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh what about Red Room shenanigans? 100%. 100%. 100% more Red Room shit? Oh yeah. Do you think we'll be any more or anything sort of further with the storyline involving the puking zombie girl? Ooh,
0: I say that's a solid 70% because it's just the weirdest shit and we're going to have probably weird shit in this finale. So I'll say a solid
1: 70%. We have more zombie girl. (laughs) Okay. What do you think that we'll go to any new, any new locations that we haven't been to before?
0: Ooh, that's a good question. Um ah, Hmm, new locations. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say 80% cuz what new is weird and strange and that could be an exciting things in this finale like you build up these prime main locations across the country and introduce this new spot where unpredictable is going to happen. Yeah, I say that's a pl- plausible.
1: Okay. Only a couple left. Or do you think we'll get a I guess, an explanation or an introduction to Judy. Hmm. I think
0: probably 80% we get something about who Judy is or how she pertains to all this, yeah. Because clearly that's who Mr. C is looking for, so maybe Mm. we'll find traces of her or maybe
1: actually find her. But yeah, I think that's likely to be resolved in some manner. Given the limited knowledge that you've got at the moment about, you know, you've only got this pretty much one reference to Judy. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you have any inclination about what or what, or who it might be?
0: So, given how she is important to not only Philip Jeffries, but also Mr. C, I would say she's probably pertaining to, like, an old case of the Blue Rose, and how, if Mr. C is interested in her, maybe she has stuff about doppelgangers, or meaning of manufacturing or destroying of doppelgangers in some manner or fashion is the way I think Mr. C is looking to get information from her.
1: Hmm. Okay interesting final question um and this is not so much a percentage but more of a well, where, where's your head at the at this moment do you think that the ending of twin peaks the return are we going to see a happy ending or a tragic ending or something else so i was thinking a lot about this given
0: that i only have two episodes left i think episode 17 will be a n- normal Normal-ish, you know, range of episode for what we, what we've gotten earlier. I think eighteen's just gonna be a mindfuck. I honestly do believe that. I think we're just setting up all this weirdness, and then eighteen will just be just this absurd, abstract thing where we're we're not gonna really get answers, but more questions. And I think the ending will be, I think it'll be Cooper being confronted with something either like mortality-wise or Laura Palmer-wise, but I think it'll be a bittersweet ending for our dear Dale Cooper. That is what I have come up with in my head for what's going to happen in
1: episode 18. Okay. Anything kind of prompting that? Like, what's just interested in your thought process behind that? Just because I feel like episode
0: 8 can't be just the only mindfuck in this entire at all, and where else to do a mindfuck but the finale where you expect, like, this grand finale, all these characters coming together, big shootout, big battle, whatever you have, but honestly, you can just do something so abstract and different in the finale with all, with just how different episode eight was, just all these things where it's, it's, gui- it's clearly guiding, you know, the Mitchums and Cooper going to Twin Peaks and then Mr. C being out there, probably heading to Twin Peaks as well, and then just, you can set the expectations for this final confrontation and then just... Blow those expectations away with red room shit or just weird other dimensional shit that I think the finale will be. I mm. I I hope it'll be something as awe-strucking as I thought episode eight is, because episode eight is probably I still after digesting it for so much and watching it watching parts of it ever since then i think it's probably maybe the top five pieces of television i've ever seen in my entire life Wow! so i'm hoping that the finale
1: scratches that itch some way wow okay i'm not going to give anything away about what's going to happen in these next um in these next in these final two episodes yeah these did come out um at the same time so both episodes were released um as a double and Yeah, a lot of reactions (laughs) in the fan community (laughs) following these two episodes. Yeah, so, cool. Thank you for running through that, uh, Vinny. Well, here, let me ask you some questions about, in the reverse order of this,
0: so I can ask you questions about, okay, so, given what you've seen of the rebuilds and how the other ending of Evangelion is, do you think there Mm. will be a large mecha
1: battle in 3.0 plus 1.0? I feel like there will be. Um, and I'm basing that on the next time on, um, thing from, uh, Mm 3.33, um, where there was, that was pretty much the only footage that we had was, you know, a bunch of robots fighting each other. Um, Mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm picking that there will be, I'm picking that's going to be at least 90%. All
0: right. How likely are we going to see Shinji be a one little bitch in the finale?
1: Um, 150%. hmm 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 <laughs> No question. <laughs>
0: okay, how likely are we to see Instrumentality Project again as this finale?
1: Hmm, now that's an interesting question. Mm-hmm. I feel like, I feel like we will see an attempt, maybe. Mm-hmm. And without, I'm only just thinking about this now, but considering how, I guess, poorly received the end of evangelion was i feel like they will try something different Mm -hmm. and i'm wondering if there's if it's going to go down the line of you know it's it's kind of that ticking clock you know the the human instrumentality project's about to start but it gets kind of thwarted at the last minute by something yeah i feel like so i feel like we'll see an attempt but maybe not a success
0: Mm -hmm. all right how likely is gendo going to be forgiven for everything he's
1: ever done gendo will be forgiven Mm. yes I don't know I mean he's done a lot of shit he has done a lot of shit I guess it would be I guess the question would be whose role is it to forgive him mm-hmm. would it be Shinji's role to forgive him or would it be Rei's role to forgive him mm-hmm. um, given what I know about biblical narratives and mm-hmm. that I feel like there's probably a good chance that he will I feel like there's probably a good mm. chance that He will repent, perhaps. Maybe it'll be like an end of of the Spider Verse kind of situation where, you know, they're trying to orchestrate this ulterior dimension to reunite with a loved one. Mm -hmm. And maybe he'll see the error of of that and, you know, how selfish he's been, and maybe he will. Maybe he will repent and maybe he will be forgiven. Um, I'm going to put that at a solid 50%. It could go either way.
0: How about will Masato hit
1: on Shinji again? Ooh. I mean, she's only really done it this one time, really, hasn't mm. she? Yeah. Yeah. I'd say that's pretty... I'm going to put that pretty low. I'll say mm. 25%. Okay. Do you think Shinji gets a happy ending going to be. It's probably, gonna be, it's, it's probably <laughs> just going to be like, she's probably just going to throw herself at him. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's technically of age now. He's in his late 20s, apparently, because of the time skip, so... Oh, shit. Yeah, you're right oh wow yeah but then okay so she's a cougar in this narrative then i guess anyway
0: (laughs) 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 okay well shinji's ending be happy
1: sad tragic Hmm. i would be surprised if it was a happy ending Mm -hmm. like like a happy you know feel good ending i would that would surprise me Mm -hmm. so maybe that is what's going to happen I think probably what's more likely to happen is that it will be, if not tragic, it'll be like a, um, it'll be like a sacrificial ending.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And what I'm basing that on is, I mean, I, I, I don't think that Arnaud is the kind of guy that would sort of wrap everything up in a nice bow, mm-hmm. especially if he's taken 12 years to craft the film he wants. <laughs> and also the fact that, I mean, Shinji, in a way, is kind of playing this Jesus type of character who, as we all know, was kind of crucified for man's. He sacrificed himself, essentially, to, mm-hmm. for the benefit of mankind. I feel like it'll be something similar. I feel like it'll mm-hmm. be kind of a sacrificial ending. So Shinji's fulfilling his destiny, but at great expense and probably Mm. at the cost of his life.
0: Mm. Interesting, interesting. Mm. Okay, now, final question that I asked you off-pod, but I want it out there for the listeners. (laughs) Who does Shinji end up with? In between the decade of this final entry coming, all the shipping wars, who does Shinji end up with? Asuka, Rei, Masato, Mari, Nursing Girl, Kawaru comes back to life, his head
1: exploded, but he's gay for him. Who does Shinji end up with? You know what? I'm gonna go out on a limb here and mm-hmm. let me be up front this is not uh, this is not this is not behavior that I endorse but mm-hmm. I feel like in this new world in a post human instrumentality kind of world mm-hmm. I feel like all living beings will probably be on the same kind of level and thus Shinji will end up marrying pen Pen yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Good man, I know no Pen Pen in
0: end of Evangelion.
1: No, there. Were, oh, there was there was a quick, wasn't there a quick? I think I think it was like a group photo of them all, and he was. It was in a there. group photo, yeah, but no yeah. actual him. No Pen Pen, no Mari. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yep. No, he's gonna end up with Pen Pen. Uh, I I will maintain that Pen Pen is gonna have a some kind of pivotal role. Oh the fuck! It's been fourteen years. Is he still alive? Even shit. Mm. Didn't even think of that. huh Yeah. Yeah, no, Pen Pen's coming back. Yeah, Pen Pen's key to all of this. I'm putting it out there. <laughs> I'm going to stick yeah, with that. Dude.
0: And my final question is, do you think there'll be a song as good as Com Todd or the one in 2.22 that's going to play over a tragic event in the finale?
1: Yeah, I reckon. I mean, whoever the music director was on this, they're doing a bang-up job. I think they're going to nail it for this one as well. I reckon there'll probably be a track which is as good for sure. Yeah, that's hundred mm-hmm. percent. Right, and I'll be cool, dis- I'll cool. be disappointed if there isn't. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of music though, let's let's wrap this up. We usually end these episodes with a little bit of music because Spotify lets us do that. So I've got a couple of tracks which I well, I've got one track which I think um, would be good to play. But um, Vinny, have you got anything that you want people to hear?
0: Yes, I want people to hear Calm Susser Todd by Ooh, Orion.
1: Huge because surprise there. Yeah. I no. think
0: it's interesting to listen to it out of context of the visual and just dissect it at, by itself. Just yes. someone alone listening to it with their eyes closed and just absorbing it as
1: a piece of art. Yeah, absolutely. I echo that. So yeah, put put the headphones on and listen to listen to this one. It's a goodie. Now I'm going to pick a song by a band that appeared in the in the return, uh, the Veils. So mm. this this band played during the scene that you spoke to, where the girl was crawling along the floor and then screams. Mm. Yeah, they. <laughs> the guy from the Vales is, to my, to my knowledge at least, the only or the single New Zealand person in Twin Peaks: The Return. Hmm. I don't think he was. I don't know if he was even born here. He, he grew up here. We um, he grew up mm. between here and um, and the UK. I think, um, but he's the sole New Zealand conne- uh, connection to to Twin Peaks: The Return. So I'm going to suggest a song from them. It's a song that's quite, which is fairly different from the one that they played in the Return. Um, but I'm going to mm-hmm. s- pick. A song off the twenty two thousand and six album. It's called "Advice for Young Mothers to Be," and it's it's similarly like a cool little pop ditty with some not as bleak lyrics, but some sort of somber kind of lyrics, I guess. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's that's a cool little vibe. And you know what? Fuck it. Let's let's put on "Seal My Sunshine" as well. I'm gonna chuck that. Yeah, in there as well. yeah it's a fucking jam. I love it. I think <laughs> one year it was my most played Spotify song for the year. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Have you got anything else you want want the people to hear any? Um
0: I'll go for the other defining musical track from a movie I've seen that's animated. Um All Star by Smash Mouth from Shrek. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the soundtrack to the apocalypse. <laughs> yep. Somebody. <Body>. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's enough of that nonsense. We can probably leave it there. Yeah, we can. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. This has been a blast to record this episode. And, um, yeah, we hope you've enjoyed it. If you have enjoyed it, um, get us get in touch with us. Um, we can be reached on our um, typo-ridden, <laughs> incorrect <laughs> email address, tp semicolon e at gmail.com. And, yeah, tell us what you thought. Did you enjoy the, the end of Evangelion? Did you really love Audrey's storyline in The Return? Do you think the seven-minute song um, that I've forgotten the name of already is not a good song? Let us know. Yeah, drop us a line, and we'll talk to you next time.
0: See you, Vinnie. bye boy. I want to see what different seasons look like on different planets. I'm way up in the stratosphere. I got a big advantage.